Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. But what if we challenge ourselves to go back, look where we are now, and where we want to be? That is why we exist. To focus more on different perspectives. The way we analyze film with respect to the lens in which stories are told. In search of authentic diversity while still keeping the emotional connection. Because every movie makes us feel something. Oh, what's up, everybody? It's Feeling Film Black Label Edition. We are back, and everybody is in the building. Let's start it off real quick. My man, Coles, what's up? How are you? Bonjour, everybody. We got the queen of the pod, Ms. Erin Hundley. How are you? Ah, como estas? international version that's what we do around here and we got the one and only kobe mac what's up bro yo 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 what up well, that was english so when it comes from a king we call that english when it comes from a king that is called kinglish yes. hit him with the kinglish i don't know but quinglish sounds so strange <laughs> <laughs> you guys are all weird but i love you anyway and i am e-man from e-man's reviews and today is going to be a very fun episode um we have to actually change up the format because we was like we got a lot of questions from you listeners out there and it was just too good to pass up so uh whether it was twitter or the facebook uh group that we're in or wherever it is you guys submitted your questions and we are about to go through them kobe i think you got got the first one don't you oh man uh it's the one that we've all been waiting for that when we open up this conversation for folks listening in to hear us out they said the number one question they said tyler perry (laughs) Oh! <laughs> I hope they yelled it like that. Who? In my mind, in my mind, as I read it, I'm just Tyler Perry. <laughs> like I, I just imagine Chris Rock saying Tyler Perry. Tyler Perry. Tyler Perry. <laughs> you know, um, it says Tyler Perry. Do you think his contributions to cinema are positive for people of color? More roles, more visibility, director, etc. Left it pretty open for us. We all have a lot of thoughts. Oh, we do. Um, I think it's, I mean, we got to figure out who's going to go first because they're going to set the tone for this conversation. (laughs) Well, what? maybe we should set the conversation for those that are unfamiliar with Mr. Perry. Let's let's get some background on Tyler Perry. Um, When did y'all first hear of Tyler Perry? Like, just hear of his name. I... I, I was going to say it started for me with his plays. Like I always heard of a Tyler Perry play and I never really knew what it was or who he was or whatever. And eventually like the plays became a movie. And then you started hearing about this Medea character. And when I first heard about it, I was like, Oh, this is interesting. And you know, I don't know about you guys, but the first time I encountered Medea, um the character which is tyler perry basically in drag um it was not great drag either it's not great drag but you know oh it's fine (laughs) it it serves its comedic purposes um but it was interesting i thought it was a cool little you know 
a, a different, unique thing uh, to bring to the screen. Um, you could definitely see the crossover from being a play into a film. And um, I thought it was cool for that first time. And I had no idea it was going to keep on going and going and going and never really show very much uh, variance, you know, mm-hmm. beyond that. So um, I'll, I'll leave it at that for now. But, yeah, that's that was how I got introduced to him. I just kind of heard about the plays and I actually went to a play. The play oh, for real. plays are 10 times. The plays are 100 times better. Mm-hmm. And it's like even if you're of the the mindset or the group that don't like Tyler Perry movies, I would still encourage you to go to a play because when you go to the play, you actually see, Oh, this is where this actually works because he can, you know, improv, he can, you know, it's all live. It feels organic. It's so much better than the movies. So yeah, that's just something out there for people to consider as well. Yeah. For me, I'm going to jump on E-Man's point. The same thing. I learned from his plays. I mean, I, my mom and stepdad are big Tyler Perry stands. So they know like almost everything about the man himself. You know, he was homeless. You know, he just started writing plays and put this thing together. And like every time a new play would come out, everybody in my town, because I come from Georgia, everybody in my town would just go to the store and like get them right up. Bootlegs, whatever. Like it was an event whenever Tyler Perry had a new play out. So for the time being, I agree. The plays were much more better structured. A lot of laughs. You know, you saw a lot of new faces, new black faces, especially. And some of those people end up getting careers in Hollywood. So I do appreciate Mr. Perry. I will give him this. He has always given a lens and an opening and olive branch for many black actors who probably would not get it at all without his plays or without his writing and directorial debuts. Now, as far as the films, the first film, um, I think it was I Can Do Bad All By Myself. It was pretty cool. I liked it, you know, and then, you know, had Medea's Family Reunion, and then you started getting more and more of the sequels. Over time, the formula just became just very basic, and you just kind of knew what to expect. And now, at this point, I'm tired of Medea. I, I, I'm very tired of it. But, Don't worry. He, but he's I will... tired of it, too. Apparently, Medea's dead. So, we, we got... We, well, I, I hope long. so. <laughs> I hope so, because... Um, I saw the last one, Medea's on Family Funeral, and I had to see it because um, my mom and stepdad paid for us to go, me and my girlfriend, to go to the movies with them to see it. And everybody in the audience was laughing, but I was just sitting there just very silent because I had just seen the same thing over and over again. So Tyler Perry, I love him for his inspiration. I love him for being a black man with a studio. Yes, I love all that. But as far as his his films, um, I'm kind of out at this point. I can I can see what you mean. I will say, so I had to review Medea's uh, family funeral, and if it is supposed to be the last iteration of Medea on screen, I think it went off. It went out appropriately, right? I rated yeah. it a five out of ten. Now, the Kobe told me scale a five out of ten is not a good movie, but not a bad movie, because I knew what this movie one who the audience it was designed for. And Tyler Perry himself, without saying, does not care to adhere to certain technical elements other films in Hollywood would really like, you know, be on the lookout for, right? And we'll kind of, well, I'm, I'm, I'm very sure that the conversation will get to that, right? But I'm very curious to see where Aaron's frame of reference is for Tyler Perry. So I had 
heard the name Tyler Perry repeatedly um, growing up, but didn't really under like didn't really have a frame of reference for it. Um, Diary of a Mad Black Woman is probably my biggest exposure, um, but I think that um, I lived with my best friend Matt, who is from Louisiana, he's from New Orleans, and he had all of Tyler's plays on DVD, whether they were bootleg or not, just like Colette said, people went out and got them however they could, um, and I watched his plays, and you're right, like the plays are absolutely beautiful, they're brilliant, and he has such an electric energy when he's live and in front of an audience and the way that he riffs and improvs and things like that. And as a theater kid, like that's something that I absolutely love seeing when it's live on stage. Um, I agree that the Medea movies are very formulaic. Um, they follow a, a, a rough repeat pattern. Um, I find some moments entertaining other moments. I'm just like, I don't, I don't get it. Like, um, I know we're talking about our introduction, but I guess everybody kind of gave a, their little piece of opinion on him. And I'm really t- torn. Um, while I don't think that Medea has necessarily harmed black cinema, I also kind of have to give him props for being able to maneuver his way into the entertainment industry that is primarily white, have movies that do make money and target a very specific audience. And he's done it in a way that isn't necessarily disrespectful to black people. It may not help further us along, but like Cole said, he's also given, he's given opportunities to other black people that may not have had those opportunities elsewhere. And that is why he started his production company now. Well, he would not have been able to start this production company if he hadn't done all of these Medea movies. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. It's one of those things where it's like, I respect the man for, weaseling his way into this industry and i don't know a better word for it because I, I hate the phrase weasel but like I, you guys know what i'm <laughs> no he, he, play, he played the yeah, game, he played the game he played, 100%, yeah. he played and the now game. he's able to yeah. potentially i mean i and i say potentially because he hasn't done anything with that studio yet but he now has the potential to have other generations of entertainers and people of color reap the benefits and hopefully not have to do what he had to do so I, I definitely want to jump on that because I, I kind of, my take on him is also kind of balanced like that. I really love where he came from. He has a very inspirational story. I mean, sure like, it's like pursuit of happiness. Right? Yeah. Like yes. you're talking about someone who literally was selling his plays out the back of his car, you know, to sleeping underneath the bridges yeah, of Atlanta and like owning a production company that even the likes of Marvel Studios uses, right. you know, to, yeah, to shoot their stuff. So, um, that is the dream, you know, to, to go there, to build something, to bring people along with you that normally would not get opportunities. Like that's really key. So it's, that's one of the primary reasons why I can't tear him down. And it's also why I choose not to review his movies because they're just not in my, you know, wheelhouse. Um, You're not I already, the targeted audience. That's interesting. That's, yeah. that, that, that's, that's very interesting. But that's also why I don't review horror movies. They're not, I'm not the target audience. And, and, and yeah. that's understandable. I mean, for me, the reason why I don't do it is because, because his movies are the same, I'm going to have the same issues in every review and it's kind of redundant and it's kind of pointless hmm. to keep doing it. So... You know, and on top of that, you know, kind of like what Kales was saying, like, if you're in Georgia, like, you're not listening to my review because you already know what you like with his product and can't nobody tell you nothing different about that. And that's totally fine. Now, 
with all the good stuff aside, he's given opportunities. He's, you know, uh, uh, targeting different stories. He's, he's giving people, uh, uh, well, a very select audience what they like and all that. That's cool. That's great. Whatever. My issue with him is more so an issue of disappointment and frustration because I see so much talent in him. And when I saw, like, there's just such a desire for me for him to break his own mold because whenever I see him do something slightly outside of the box, I think it was family that prays. I saw that movie and I was like, Ooh, I see the Tyler Perry fingerprints, uh, but this all looks like it could be something different. It looks mm-hmm. like he can actually expand. He can actually tell a different nuanced story. That's rated R. It's there. It's, he has like, it, it's, it's, it's there. It's so frustrating because i'm family that prays you got so much talent and just keep going back to your comfort zone so from that standpoint my frustration is from is is i see too much of a creator to be so limited and on top of that i I think i shared with you guys a article uh with little rail who uh critiqued uh Mm Well, because I think Perry's going to either do a movie or a sitcom or something called Sisters, you know, and oh yeah, and he had said that you like you gotta you need to be a sister. Yeah, right? I mean, like, well, how you gonna not, do a show about sisters? Be a sister to write a a sitcom on it. Yeah. It's just that Tyler Perry does not allow people into that creative space outside of himself. He has to be the writer. He has to be the director. He has to be the producer, which, by the way, is, I think, one of the reasons why his movies might have so many issues, because there's no one there to tell him, no, there are no checks and balances. But then again, but then again, it's working. Well, <laughs> only for box office standards, con- yeah. Well, but that's what you well, mean okay, it's working. But, it's working. Okay, so so I'll, I'll play devil's advocate, what? right? We all agree that there's a formula to his movies, right? Very much so. Is there not a formula to the MCU? No. No. Then, ooh, no. Okay. Now, obviously, we got a couple of experts in comic book movies. One, me personally, he did the MCU formula before the MCU did. He, he created this expanded cinematic universe as early as 2004 with the first big film that translated from his stage plays to the movies with Diary of a Mad Black Man. <laughs> And then spun off characters, Medea. Medea is pretty much the Iron Man, right, of those films. And then, like we all said, it's amazing how he really carved out opportunities for black actors and actresses that no longer had to wait their turn to do other films. They were able to all play in the same sandbox at the same time. And keep in mind, he's got heavy hitters that he's worked with. Idris Elba, Angela Bassett. Like, and then folks that have come out where nobody ever knew. Tika Sumter started her, like, she really built her, her brand, you know, off the back of those Tyler Perry films. Um, I mean, you've got so many different folks. But that doesn't mean it's Marvel. But, but, but <laughs> the formula to, like, you know, in regards to how we build the stories and they're working within the framework of the same universe, I see so many parallels to that. It's not there. And there's a lot of folks no, who I've heard that say, I'm, I'm oh, gonna, you know, I'm gonna stop you right there. No, okay. it's not. It's ambitious. It's ambitious, but it's not there. If, if yeah. the, the closest you can give is the connective universe and maybe, okay. but it really feels more like a bunch of sequels rather than a connective universe. Cause at least is with that Marvel. Is that what the MCU is? 
Well, no, because with no, Marvel, you have that in different orders. Yeah, you have different movies that tell different stories in different ways. Like every movie, they might have. I mean, the similarity is obviously they're superheroes. Superheroes are going to win, blah blah blah. But you know, the story. Black Panther is not like uh, um, Ant Man. You yeah, know, like Marvel. the yeah, movies are completely different. Um, Captain Black America Panther Winter is Soldier. exactly like Ant Man. Stop it! Stop it! Stop! <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't even say it with a straight face. I, I know. <laughs> Not on video, Aaron. I can't see. <laughs> you know, but I mean, like, Winter Soldier. Like, Winter Soldier was a movie that oh, you know, broke its own comic book genre by being an espionage movie. You know, and that wasn't, that was like thing. a quote-unquote sequel to the first but, Captain America. It hey, was nothing like a sequel, and it was nothing formulaic like the first Captain America. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah, but it also, it's it's taken a genre, turned it on its head, like, which I could also say where the Medea films, they did Medea with the Halloween genre and stuff like that. They did Medea with, you know, an escape, you know, prison film. So in their own respects, oh, they, that's all they're doing similar. is literally taking the same character and the same tropes and the same way that she's behaving, and they're just changing her environment they're not That's really it. changing the story the like Medea, Medea is still in like Medea is still Medea and the problem with comedy that you run into is that a lot of times with these slapstick kind of humor is that you never actually see the character struggle with anything and therefore you don't see the character grow in anything and I think that was always my problem with Medea is that she's the same Medea as she was in Diary of a Mad Black Woman now if they want to change it up I'll see a baby Medea movie I will gladly see what what made Medea into Medea, <laughs> but like I don't want to. I just don't want to see Medea. Like it's like seeing Medea. This is Medea in the kitchen. This is Medea on the toilet. This is right. Medea in the living room. Like just because you switch up the time of year, so this is Medea at Halloween versus this is Medea at Christmas. She's still Medea. Like Ernest movies. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. I wouldn't say that Ernest okay. at Christmas is different than Ernest goes to Hollywood. Yeah, they're different films, but they're relatively the exact same thing. It's like Mr. Bean. I yeah. love Mr. Bean. Absolutely love Mr. Bean movies. Yeah. But I'm not going to say that they're like the MCU just because it's the same character on different platforms. And it's definitely not a cross genre either because Medea <laughs> is not in a legit horror movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's definitely. And I'll say this, like half of the time, probably more, it's more like more than half of the time. I'm not laughing because the jokes can feel reductive oh, and they do get stale. But I also see when I watch these films and I do see how it's striking a chord with the audience. So I guess like, you know, to, to kind of tether onto that question, is it positive for people of color the way that Tyler Perry goes about, not with the way how he, how he does his business side of it. I think we cannot argue with the business side, but if we're talking about the art and how it affects black cinema in the scope of Tyler Perry, I think there's a more broader conversation we can have about black cinema for another time. But do you feel that Tyler Perry's films are positive for people of color? Not if you're a big black dark man with a bald head. That's so my dad. <laughs> <laughs> well, if he was in a Tyler Perry movie, he'd definitely be a villain of some sort. Oh, okay. Now I'm trying to think in my head. All right. Yeah, I think that so yeah. my my biggest right. response to this question or my biggest nudge of this question would be I only think it's harmful I only would think it was harmful to black cinema if the majority of Tyler Perry moviegoers were white. 
Mm-hmm. Because because they're black and because we are actually tapped into pieces of our culture, whether or not it is actually relevant to how we live. There were things that I've seen in Tyler Perry movies that I know or I had I had questions about, like, is this really what some people are like in the South or like I had visited family because my family is from like Mobile, Alabama, for the most part. And I had visited them, but I haven't seen them since I was younger. But I know there are certain ways that a lot of black people that are from the South behave. I'd ask my grandmother, like, I saw this in a movie. This actually happened. And she'd say yes. And so, like, there were even things that as a black person I learned while watching this these movies. But I don't necessarily see it as harmful uh, because the people who it's going to impact, like, their thoughts on black people would be, for the most part, more white people. So if the majority of his audience were white people that just came to see black people make fun of black tropes, then, yes, I would say that it's harmful. Given that the majority of the people that do go to his films are people of color, I don't really see it as anything other than just like a, a fly or a gnat that I want to swat away. That's that's a really good yeah. point. And I just want to add one little piece of context to that is um, the reason why what Aaron just said is so impactful is it, it just reminded me of a quote that D.L. Hughley had recently been saying uh, in the midst of all the mass shootings and um, or not mass shootings, but like the, just the police arrest and pr- police brutality and stuff against, um, people of color and black people is, uh, the quote he said was like, the most dangerous place for like black people to live is in the imagination of white Americans. And that is a very dangerous place, ideally, because when white America visualizes media and let's just say black people are painted one way, that gets translated in a lot of different, you know, it gets manifested in different ways. And that's the part where it can become harmful, where if you think and assume you watched Boys in the Hood or Menace to Society and you're thinking, and let's just say that's your only connection to black people at all, you're going to be, you know, have a certain type of feeling when you go to a quote unquote urban inner city, you know, and it's just one of those things that we, kind of have to be it it inform it informs you exactly so you'll, exactly. Let, you'll let pop culture in inform. I, I feel that so there's I, a potential I, I, danger I, I, with yeah. that so that, that's i just kind of wanted to add that in there like that's why it's not just a matter of fact that oh well if white people see it it's it's problematic no 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 if that's all you see if that's all you know and that's all you're taking then uh, that can become an issue yeah the thing I will give Tyler Perry credit for is that even though his films are flawed in a story or in a writing kind of manner, they do bring up pretty good messages that I've seen. And, you know, I'll watch the films with my mom and dad and other audiences. They do love that there are messages of like, you know, family sticking together or like, you know, trying to get out of an abusive relationship or like, you know, um, the man being the man of the house, you know, um, there, there's a, a lot of his films deal with the strength of family, which is a good message to have. You know, like Medea's Big Happy Family, Medea's Family Funeral were two films that dealt with that, and they do pretty well in that regard. It's just that the whole sex of humor gets in the way of it, and it kind of takes away from the message. But I will say for this, for as far as him for black culture, I don't think he does anything harmful. Like for me, I used to think he did just because I thought his movies were bad, but I kind of had to check myself and really look at it. Like there's not any like chicken joy. Characters, any minstrel show going on, or like you know, people just bug eyed walking around doing all that. There's nothing like that, so it's not harmful to the people themselves. And I say his films actually do well with black culture because of the way that he taps into how people talk, the way people act, 
the way that certain things that same mannerisms he puts in his films are pretty good. So he, as far as black culture, he doesn't do anything wrong. I would say that he does a lot, but it just doesn't come off as being like a, um, a certain vernacular for black people to latch on to. I think being in Atlanta, I've been able to see a different side to the reception of Tyler Perry's film. So I'm, I live 15 minutes away from Tyler Perry studios. And when he had his, um, you know, he, he kind of opened up the studios and had his grand launch and I drove by and stuff like that. It was amazing to see how many prominent figures, not just in black Hollywood, but in Hollywood in general came to really kind of celebrate this man. Obviously on the commerce side of it, he's done exceptional things. He has created roles and opportunities for folks in front of the camera. I don't think we can very much question that. I think it's unfortunate. I don't hear the same being lauded of him behind the camera. Um, I respect his hustle and that's where it got him to this, this place. Um, but to have that many resources and to not make the same, not to not to be as intentional with offering. It's weird. It's it's like he has a website that's open up to take like script idea. Like you can you can like literally just say you could not be working in the industry and just say I have an idea for a movie and he'll like he has oh well, he has people that'll look it over. But ultimately, it's like for him to adopt that idea into something else. Not to say hey listen, I would love to cultivate where you got there and I would love to like help you pen a script with me. I think he did like a, he's really big into these Facebook videos and he had like mountains of screenplays piled up in his office. He's like, I've read all of these and I've written all of these. And at one point I'm like, yo, I would love to get to that point. I've been working on a screenplay for a long, too long of a time. Right. And at the same time, I'm like, man, I imagine if this person can like, help prop up the next generation of writers, right? Because that's really where his bread and butter was, where, where it got them there. It's like the, his ability to tell a story and to reach like a, a certain group of people. The fact that he's not fostering that, when I look at this question, I'm like, yeah, I feel like it's harming not the audience, but harming people who would love to be the next Tyler Perry. And I feel like that is a little disheartening. I think... Like that, that's why I, I think one other thing that we also have to take into consideration is like, why is this even a topic? Like, why is even Tyler Perry brought up? And it's really because there isn't anyone else like him telling these stories. So it's kind of like by default, we have to. But the thing is, Tyler Perry's telling a very small segment of, of, the black of, of yeah. just the black experience. And that's among yeah. many different experiences. It would be, I, I yeah. want people to just really sit back and imagine. If you were, I don't know, living in Asia or something, right? Like just in a country that's not predominantly American or whatever, right? And the only person you saw coming up with a studio was Martin Scorsese. And all you saw was a bunch of Italian mobster movies and stuff like that. And he's the only voice in Asia. You would never go to New York. Doing that. Or Vegas. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's kind of like if we had more Tyler Perry's out there, this wouldn't, this would be a non-issue. Because people would just kind of be like, oh, Tyler's doing his thing. Oh, but yeah, um, you know, uh, uh, Mark Jackson is doing this guy or, you know, this XYZ is doing that. And so, like, it really wouldn't be an issue. So we need more. We need more voices. You know, we need to lean away 
for example, to continue bringing us unique stories. And we need the next Lena Waithe and the next Tyler Perry and all these different voices to have their opportunities to say, to give us the full spectrum. Because this is such a tiny slice. I mean, oh my goodness. This is such a tiny targeted audience within the black culture in itself. So. Well, that's actually, that's pretty funny because that kind of segues into the next question we got. And this person said specifically in their question, no, but seriously, outside of Tyler Perry, how about a question about, you know, actually, how do we feel more about re- being representative in Hollywood over the, say, the past decade or so in film? And in regards to that representation, you know, like what films and actors or awards have propelled the way that we feel about that. Or I guess, or he says on the flip side, how is it hindered? So how has it helped slash hindered um, the representation of Hollywood over the past decade? I think the biggest thing to keep in mind is that anybody who has consistently held the majority will always feel threatened when the minority pushes for more of the majority. So unfortunately, what has happened in the last 10 years is that we have gotten to the point where a lot of forced diversity is happening. And a lot of times people are very upset and offended. And I'm not going to sit here and tell white people that they're not allowed to be upset or allowed to be offended when the pedestal that they have been placed on for their entire life is being rocked underneath them. They didn't realize that it was a pedestal. So it's natural to be responsive and defensive when you feel that quaking and and rocking beneath your feet. So I'm not here to sit there and tell to tell people that they're not justified in that. However, I am sick of people assuming that just because a black person was cast or just because a female lead was given that it's automatically diversity, like a forced diversity. And that's exactly how I feel about affirmative action is like nobody wants to be the only black person in a room because then you sit there and you know why you're there or you feel that there's a Mm -hmm. pressure of why you are there and that you are that token higher and that you don't deserve to be there. But that doesn't make it true. Even though you are because you are qualified. 100 percent but that's the thing is like you have to sit there and balance the fact that like okay did she do that role terribly or was the script terrible like i look at the new tomb the tomb raider that came out a couple uh a a couple years ago yeah and the script was awful absolutely awful Mm -hmm. but she did well with what she had to work with so i don't blame Mm -hmm. her for being a poor actor in that film i blame the crappy script that she had to work with but mm-hmm. a lot of people were like, this is the feminist agenda, just bringing out another solo female-led film. Like, what? this is what you get when you cry oh. for diversity. Jeez. And it's like with oh. all, like, the same thing happened with uh, Captain Marvel. Just to say, this is what you get when you cry <laughs> for diversity. Like, as if, like, diversity, but, like, on its face. That's what, but that's is, like, is like but a they, bad thing. They feel threatened so by it. But what I, what I always ask Man. people is, what's the alternative? What's the alternative? Yeah. When you it's sit here sick, and you're like, I don't like no diversity, but if you don't like diversity, what's the alternative? Like, what are you really saying that you want? They want the formula for like what they of what they've already got. They've almost been going on for the past 100 years. Like I've said before. They, just, like, they don't see color in it, though. It's just this is what's been successful. And that's problematic. Yeah. Very problematic. Let me tell you something. I see my color. If, I, if, if you can learn anything on this podcast, folks, never use the the the, the, the term or the phrase "I don't see color" because we all do. All right, I see. The other it. thing is, Aaron I want Kalesi you to see it. I yeah, want you, you, yeah, I want want you to being, see it. Being a person of color is a part of my identity. It is not exactly. my only identity. Just like being a woman Thank is not you. my only identity. 
but it is integral to my identity. Yep. See color, but don't treat me differently because I am of color. Right. Well, I almost yes. said colored. I almost said colored. <laughs> <laughs> Do not no, that, treat that, me differently because I am of color. That's that all. Is, want. That's it. See it, respect it, just understand it's part of our life. If it's not part of yours, that's totally cool. But like, don't disparage it because, or try and ignore it because now you're ignoring a part of reality that we actually have to deal with all the time. Yeah. We don't have the, we don't have the privilege of not seeing Yeah, it. we can't turn it off. <laughs> we can't blend in. <laughs> you know, I can't yeah. walk into no, my but- office at work and be like, hey guys, I'm Chuck now. Like, I can't just I mean, I kind of can, but that's. I can do it. But I mean, but like, that's like, but we, we've all learned how to operate in this world. Like, yo, I love, um, you, oh, that's what exactly I was thinking about code switching. And, um, do we get a chance to see I'm sorry to bother you? Oh, um, Boots Riley. Wait, yes, do we have I, to find I made my boyfriend sit down and watch that, and he was so confused by the end of it. But he's like, "I loved it, really? but I don't know why I loved it." <laughs> do we, do we so need it's... to define code switching for people? Oh, okay, sorry. For people that don't understand code switching, it's the easiest way to break it down is the way that we respond to professional America versus friends of America, and I say that without the use of race and or color. But my whole life, I have been told I talk like a white girl. Well, guess what? White people aren't the only people that speak eloquently. However, the association is with them being the ones that speak eloquently. So we have the people that were like, hey, what's up? Like, how's it going? You want to kick it? Versus, hello, how are you today, kind sir? Can I get you a beverage? <laughs> and I will yeah, say. Yeah, it's the same. Like, I. Oh, uh, no, nah, like, um. I like the same thing what Aaron was saying. Like when I grew up, I was called like an Oreo, like which means that like I was black on the outside, but I was white on the inside because of the way I spoke. Like I mean, I'm sorry. Like I mean, I read I read a lot. You know, I did the whole AR challenge. I, when I was educated. little, so I know a lot of words and stuff. So I mean, yeah, what's wrong? What's wrong with me? Like just talking the way I talk. But then you also have to understand, as far as code switching as well, there are certain things. There are certain ways I will talk around my friends but then there are certain ways i would talk like say for instance i'm calling to like sprint or something like that i'm talking about an issue with my phone or something like i'm not gonna be like hey man you know yo you need to like, like no i'm gonna be like hey <laughs> hello <laughs> kind sir how can you help like, me today like hello mel um i was hoping to talk to you about this yeah you know so there are certain ways that you have to like present yourself or in certain aspects of society unfortunately because yeah, because yeah. then you'll oh, get hello judged. Oh, hello, officer. How are yeah. you today? I was not speaking. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> please, please watch. Sorry to bother you. That that will completely yeah. explain everything and, we're talking about. Or at about. least watch, at least watch up until the jade door, and then <laughs> when we get to the jade <laughs> door, you can choose. Let me tell you something. That definitely. What was that? Was that 2018? Yeah, I wish somebody had warned me. Nobody the whole so insane when that happened. The whole theater went off. Like, yeah. <laughs> what? You pretty, pretty much. There's no. There's no gray area. Once you get to the jade door, and you'll know it because they say the jade door. All right. You're either gonna be on the wave and riding it, or you gonna jump ship. People, people right? left out of my. There's no people left. <laughs> I, oh, let me tell you something. Because so I went. I went to the premiere screen down here in Atlanta, and there was a Q and A with Boots afterwards, right? And I'm just like, I stayed. I was like. My mouth was agape. I just, I, I did it. I, but like, there was a lot of stuff there. Like, I had to watch the movie twice just to get what he was really, depth, really going yeah. for. 
Like, let me tell you something. Boots, he pulled a parasite in that film. Like, that was, like, legitimately, if you think about it, like, oh, he really, he broke it down. And it was a really cool way. It, just, it wasn't fully accepted. But if you want to understand code switching, then definitely, I'm sorry to bother you, is a great film to do that. And another little lesson for y'all. We're going to give you these beautiful nuggets throughout this entire series. <laughs> if you are not a person of color, okay, it is not code switching when you do it. It's called cultural appropriation. Yeah. You can tell the difference. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. That's, that's a very good distinction right. there. It's just, we, we, we will get you hip to understanding this. There's, there's some learned things that you can be able to do. And not right? get murdered. Yeah, it's, it's, <clears throat> yes. I'm hip. <laughs> but like, with it. Oh. No, but I, but I, I, I will, I will say like <laughs> the one thing that's been good in these, in this past 10 years of cinema is that while sometimes diversity can come across as feeling inauthentic, right? And sometimes it can feel that it's pandering. I'd rather have that than not at all. Oh, you know for what I sure. Mean? Of, course. For sure. of course. And, and let, me, let me just also say, like, you know, um, it's sad because there is a stigma in Hollywood that our black stories don't sell. And that's a myth because black, black movies – However you want to quantify them, they might be low budget, but they always make their money and then some because they tell our story one way or another and we go out and watch it. So it is a it is an absolute myth that black stories don't sell. They might not sell to everyone, but they do sell. They are they sell. But, it, it, but what we are more acute to now and I'm going to tag right onto that is that we are caring more now in the past five years of who is telling yes. our story. And, yes. and the reason why I want to kind of put point uh, to that is because we've been given opportunities. That's all we've ever wanted. All we've ever wanted is the opportunity to tell our stories through our lens and with our voices. So Black Panther, the another reason why this movie was such a monumental thing was not because it had all black cast. It's because the cast was black, the writers were black, the directors were black, the producers were black, and people from Disney gave it one of the largest budgets ever. Mm-hmm. That is huge for people to really understand. We Black movies have not been trusted in the industry to have that, mo- that amount of money you know, for a budget. So for Black Panther to come on out the gate, break all these records, break all these... Was it 1.7 billion? It, what was that? 1.7 billion like 1.5 right? yeah like that 1.5 like it, it, that's a, something disney and while disney did that they had no idea uh, it would do that. they okay they no idea so much so they went out their way to go buy spider or license spider-man from sony because they didn't trust that black panther <laughs> alone could really make captain america civil war yeah. and then they said oh snap this movie <laughs> did so well we done rushed this whole Spider-Man thing. We could have been chilling because we could have popped off like three, four, five, six Black Panthers by and, now. And, and it is the beauty of that oh, is the fact that it wasn't just the black community that supported the movie. White mm-hmm. people, black, you know, Asian. The whole world. I was, I was really surprised by how much the world embraced Black Panther. And, uh, and I don't have no problem taking five minutes to really prop up that film because I will say in the past decade, that was definitely a black cultural touchstone in cinema and not the saying that it, it, it trumps everything else but like we gotta understand black audiences we have not been 
given a lot of films in certain genres yep. to be able to mm -hmm. cling on to. Like for yep. me, growing up, I had Spawn and I had Blade. Yep. And that was it for superheroes, right? Um, I can only have my superheroes in cartoon form on TV. If that, right? if that. that. wasn't an if, if that, right? Um, and I'm glad that at least that I had that. But the fact that we had Ryan Coogler, who only at that point in time, you know, came off of two films yep. in his pocket. Yep. Two. Fruitvale Station, excellent film. Creed, for me, top five sports movie of all time, right? And the fact that Disney said, we will give you a hundred plus million dollars to play in our sandbox. And he said, yeah, that's great. But like, these are my rules. And they trusted him enough yeah. to build this world. And keep in mind, this world, it's not that we didn't know it. Like Wakanda has been around since the sixties. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like it's been in that comic book form and Black Panther like that—that's a controversial figure enough. Yep. <laughs> you know? Hey, they still and watered the, him down. They still watered him still. down. Because his powers so were not as dope it, as it was in the comics. Forget the powers. I'm talking about just everything about this man yeah, has been smart. watered down Very for the smart. MCU. So if you really, yeah, man, let me tell you. Let, let, I'm, all right. They all still right. have to um, make it sellable, it, it, and they—they're going to want right. to try to attract to as many audiences yeah. as possible. Like, let's be honest. Ryan Coogler made this. For beautiful black boys and girls around the entire world, period. Yep. Nobody can question that. But that didn't necessarily mean that white people still couldn't go and enjoy the film. Exactly. And I think yeah. that's why. Yeah. And I just came across it again the other day. Is like, you know, a bunch of white people being like, oh, everybody that's going to these Black Panther films, they're being so extra. And it was like, we're not being extra. We're doing the exact same kind of cosplays that y'all have been doing at Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, like, all of these Star Trek. Harry Potter and Star Yeah, Wars? exactly. I was like, we, but we finally yeah. are. And Better the thing is, is don't get me wrong. Like, black people Star do Trek. cosplay for regular things as well. Like, I absolutely, I freaking love yeah. black cosplay. But, mm -hmm. like, we're finally seeing ourselves on screen and we're wearing ourselves because of it. Yep. So it's just like, like, yeah, you can say he watered down the character, but he did try to make a character that was still targeted for us to see ourselves in whilst yeah. respecting the fact that we aren't the only people that are going to be viewing this movie. For sure. Sure. I mean, if you see the reaction, like once it came out, you saw so many like beautiful videos of just like little kids like doing the Wakanda Forever oh, yeah, so and just and, like, showing up with their like, little spears in the movie theater. Yeah, and families yeah. dressing little up kids, and everything. Yo. Like it's beautiful. Little kids and like. How many grandparents went out with All the entire family? Hey, hey, look, I did a watch party for Black Panther, and to this day, I remember. I can't, bro, that's that's when I first. That's when I first like. I, I, I it was it was late. It's only been a little time that I've known yeah. you, and I said, "This guy, what you you rented out of yeah, theater? Yeah, like, like my goodness, I was like, yo, this dude ran out of theater had like, I mean, uh, look, it was that right there was for. I, I can't even watch that video again. Cause every time I get to the part where the little girl was just like, Shuri was my, you know, role model. She was so inspiring. I'm just like, oh, you know, and I'm sitting there, I got three daughters and I'm like, yeah, I want them to watch and see this. And like, I was like, you better uh, believe she was the smartest person in Wakanda. It didn't matter, male or female. That chick ran Wakanda. Like nothing was built and no technology was used without her. And you better believe I started throwing the word colonizer around after that movie. I think. What's what's helped so much in this past decade is how much visible our our our, our black pursuits and feats of greatness have been because of technology. Yeah. Whereas like in the eighties and nineties, we can see the steps that we've taken, but it was so much harder to keep up with it because we didn't have the internet. But now since 
since 2007 or 2008 when the iPhone came out, right? And then we had this slew of smartphones. We've condensed the world into everyone's pocket to be more participatory in it. And this past decade, if anything, has said that not only will we um, celebrate things, we're going to do it together. I love the fact that this film came out in February and was still out all the way up until Infinity War, right? Yes. It was insane. And, and the fact that people were able to take part of it like culturally and see so many different people that looked up to so, like that is one of the like top five things that happened in the decade for the culture was Black Panther. And I want me personally, I I, I do not buy the whole it didn't deserve to be an academy. It, it was not pandering no, to give that man. award to that. No, let's not, let's not like, go there. Don't, yeah, don't, 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 don't trigger don't, me don't there. Do <laughs> don't trigger me. That is for I, I, another I'll, time. It's over, over hype. Let me just say this for the record so we can be done with it. There's no way to, for anyone to justify that outside of your personal opinion. You cannot sit here and say this movie was overrated because nobody expected it to break all the records it did. Mm-hmm. Nobody expected it to win all the awards, to, to make $1.5 for people to re-watch the movie. Not just see it one time. Go back and see it multiple times. I so just me with all that overrated nonsense. You're entitled to your opinion, but not to your own facts. Let's go on. Suck it, Mike. Okay, man. Okay, man. Oh, sick man. Tacking on to that question. Um, favorite black actors uh, of the decade. How about we just go through the list you posted on Twitter? Uh, <laughs> you know, shameless plug. I mean, the Michael, Michael B. Jordan. I'm, I was actually just talking to my boyfriend about tonight. Is Michael B. Jordan and... Um, who, who were we just talking about the other day? The guy from Sorry to Bother With You. Um, With you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I would say those are my favorite two uh, male black actors. Uh, I can't can't dodge my girl Issa. Um, absolutely love her. Yeah, it's a, I, I got to be honest with you. I, 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 w- I was late on the Insecure train. I watched the first season, and I, I hear that the second season is really where it starts to find its footing. And I wasn't really into the whole Issa Rae thing. But when I saw her in the photograph, she's changed my entire outlook on her. Good. Like a lot. I'm not a, I'm not I'm huge on Michael impressed. B. Jordan. Um, <laughs> I just think he's a great actor in spurts. I don't see him, I, I don't that. see him carrying like an entire movie. He'll have great moments, but then kind of, you know, ease off the gas pedal. Um, my personal two favorites right now are, um, Sterling K. Brown. Um, yes. this is probably one of the only black men on this world that can make me cry at an instant. I don't know why, but he just bro, does it. Just his he's, face. he's got a switch. He's, 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 he's got, can, he's got a switch, bro. He's, he can, but the thing, he can do it all. Like he's funny. He, he can yeah. act. It's, it's ridiculous. And, um, Kelvin Harrison Jr. Yeah. That right yes. there. If you don't know from waves or from the movie loose, loose this brother right now has the world has fingertips. Nobody really knows about him like that, but I'm telling you, they will. The, the, the potential will. is there. He has it. It's just, it's a moment of time. It's, it's just a matter of time for him to explode. Mine's is, um, would have to be Mahershala Ali. I mean, oh, yes. like, I was one of the guys who got laid on the train, but when I saw him in Moonlight, I mean, he made me an instant fan. Then, you know, he was in the Luke Cage series, which I loved, and I hate that Netflix canceled it. Then yeah. he, then he ended up doing True Detective season three, which is yeah. an amazing season. Yeah. No one. It's an under. It's an underrated. It's season underrated. Season. Nobody talks about. Also, do you know the controversy around him in that show? 
What, what's no. Is no. they wanted to cast him as the uh, supporting role, and he demanded that he be lead detective. Like he demanded that he good. Good job, Mahershala. Good. That, that's a dude I respect. Like, the, the fact, like you know, there, say, there's a big NPR. Carrying... Like if you guys get the chance, look up the NPR, mm-hmm. the NPR interview about it. Like it was actually really interesting. And I haven't watched the show yet because again, I'd only watch shows whenever they're done. But um, there was like a really big piece about how he. But I mean, and this goes into the struggle that a lot of black actors have is that he had to go in and literally prove why he could carry season three of the show. Mm-hmm. I love how bold he is. The fact that he went to Kevin Feige, he said, yo, he called him up. Hey, I got this Oscar. I want to be Blade. Like, Say yeah, less. That's what that's I'm talking it. about. Hey, shoot, shoot your shot. Shoot your shot. We're forgetting, we're forgetting Daniel Kaluuya. Hey, yes. that brother, let me tell you something. He, he's got a, I know somebody on this podcast wasn't a fan of him from it's Widows. Just Widows. That's a, he, the man can act though. He can act like he look. He, he was brilliant act, in Black Mirror. Um, brilliant in Get Out. He could do it. It's just I don't always Wait, like the roles. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. I just don't like some of the roles that he's in. But he can act. There's no question about. Oh, he's 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 great. He's great. He's got a great. Oh yeah, now he's he's got a he's he's got a he's got a great trajectory. So I'm I'm really excited for what this next decade for black actors and actresses and just black storytellers in general. You know, from you know, uh, um, um, you know, we got. Obviously, we talked about, you know, Ryan Coogler. We got Issa Rae. We got, you know, Lena Waithe. We got Ava DuVernay. Like, and there's so the many others. Cool. Like, Melina, yeah, like, I'll say this. While I had some issues with Queen and Slim, I really do like Melina Masukas, and I like what she's going to be able to do. Uh, but before we get out of here, there was one more question. And, you know, we'll kind of keep a little time limit on this. Uh, when white critics talk about representation, does it feel like they're trying to add to a discussion? Are just trying to check off a box of wokeness. I really appreciate the person that submitted this question Great to question. the Black Label. Thank you. I think it truly depends on what they're saying. Like, yeah. I don't think that we can give a rounded answer that says when every single white critic jumps in on this conversation, it just sounds like they're trying to take over. I think that would be disrespectful to allies that we do have out there and yep. in that sphere. Yeah. So I'm not going to use a blanket statement like why people like sit your butts down and let people of color talk. However, I think that before any white film critics jump into that conversation, they truly need to try to read what they're about to say and read it from the stance of a person of color and think, is this going to be more helpful or harmful? Mm-hmm. Is me or, and the thing is, it just comes down to reading the room. If you see a bunch of people getting into a discussion about this, do you think that your white voice or your white comments are going to add to that argument? Or are you stepping in something that maybe you should just sit back, listen, learn, and watch? And it doesn't mean that you do not have the right to have your opinion. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't. And it's tough. I feel like there's there's a lot of nuance there. You are so right, Aaron, because some people can feel like, no, I'm allowed to have whatever and I'm supposed to say whatever. I feel like it's all about tact. You know what I'm saying? Of course. Like you said, reading the room, like really kind of understanding. I'll say this broaden the group of people that you have within your circle. I know sometimes I got no problem reaching out to somebody. Before I tweet something, I'm like, yo, I'm going to tweet this. What do you think about this? Because I I truly do care in this space and in this industry, I understand of where I'm working from, right? My position of leverage. So I need to be very tactful in how I, you know, um, like how I do that. So it's, yeah, it's, it's tough, but I I think, uh, I think we're good. All right. And in closing, 
tonight's episode, we want to round this conversation out with one other question that came in. How do we feel when black films are seen as not being black enough? And what does that even mean? Mm. For me, I feel that it's very, very harmful because if you already see how the industry is, you know, we're starting to get many chances to tell our stories. But, you know, we're still kind of limited in that aspect. So if we're judging a film based on it's not being black enough, what are we really saying about blackness itself? Like, mm. what are we trying to put it into a certain kind of a box to where like, hey, are, if these people are depicted in this manner and then these people are depicted in another manner, then what? What really one is are black we and one is not. Yeah. Yeah, one black is one is not. Like the thing that we're getting with um the photograph and everything. Me and Kobe had talked about it. Like people were considering that it's not really black enough. Like why is it not black enough? It's because these people are living in like New York and they have these good jobs and they're like you know ambitious and writers. And one of the characters of moving to London is it because of that or is it because it didn't contain like black like black trauma or black problems or anything like that or is it not because of a romantic comedy aspect so the thing is is that it does more damage when we're not able to like open our eyes or when most people are not able to open our eyes to different lenses of black story because black culture is not just one thing it's not just us in the hood it's not just us being a slave it's not just us being in jail it's not just us dodging police brutality there's other black stories to tell there's stories about us um helping out the community there's us about you know, using our art to further um, our agenda on the world. There's stuff about us just being like a normal guy, you know, trying to make it in the world. There's many other layers and varieties to us as the black story. It's not just been conditioned to just one thing, because I think that Hollywood has done a bad job in the past of doing it, just showing us only one list of black story. But now there's no excuse for that. We shouldn't just tie ourselves to just one to one lens, one view. We should be able to branch out and show different stories. Like, hey, if we want to make like um a black Zelda, then let's do a black Zelda. I mean, we shouldn't oh, just like boy. yes. Ah. We should try to rock the boat. Yeah. You trying to rock the boat? Yeah, I think black it's Zelda. different if you want to see yourself as Zelda, regardless of whether or not you're black, versus taking an entire created character and making them black. I guess the yeah. only way that I would see that as as being what other people are afraid of forced diversity is how did Zelda being black change the story? And that that oh, is my the biggest, same thing with Little Mermaid. Well, that's yeah. my biggest issue though. That, whenever that, we talk about forced diversity, mm-hmm. I don't have a problem when we race bend if it has no impact on the character. Exactly. So classic one. What if Batman were black? First of all, his name wouldn't be Bruce Wayne. Second of all, he's not going to have that. I don't know. I know plenty like John Smith. Look, look. (laughs) More like Bruce Bruce. Right. (laughs) He's not going to have the same type of relationship that he does with police. We call him B-Dubs. Like, where did he get his money from? (laughs) You know, like, are are you mean to tell me that Bruce Wayne, with that kind of money, being black, you mean that other billionaires are going to treat him the same because we already see that in the world that that doesn't happen. So, and Batman ain't never been called the N-word in his ever? In, in God? Yeah. So, yeah. But so, that goes back to causing a problem, though, because you said you have no problem with us race bending if it doesn't change the story. But having, if you want any character that is set in our world, even like though Gotham is not technically our world, but in some form of the real world, then unfortunately, because black people are treated differently than white people, if you have something in that setting, then it has to change the world. Right. 
It has to mm-hmm. change the character. So right. you saying that like you have no problem race bending as long as it doesn't change the story, except for if it's set well, in modern it times, it change, has to change the story. If it doesn't change the character. So for example, uh, what was it in Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man? They made Perry Mason, uh, or they uh, what was it? It was a uh, Superman. It was a Superman movie, Man of Steel. Oh, yeah, White, they made Perry yeah, White yeah. black or something. I was like, so, Perry Mason. Yeah, Larry Fisher. <laughs> Sorry, not Perry Mason. So, yeah, but they made him black. It his, was blackness, like, his blackness it, did not affect It had no effect on the character. It didn't change who he was. It didn't change anything. So in those instances, I don't have a problem if you want to change those races. But if it does change up the character's heritage, tradition, story, background, and all that, then, I mean... Again, even if you wanted to make Batman Hispanic, if you wanted to make him uh, Superman Hispanic. I would rather them create a new character. Too. I would too. I'm just saying, like, if we're going to do it, either it has zero impact on the character or just tell a different story. Yeah. You could do that. There's so much room for that. Trust me, we're all begging for creative new stories and we're sick of remakes. So. I'm trust trust me. They do always be celebrated. Yeah. It's it's tough because like not it's not just making a character black that makes a film black enough. I think that, and I will say you know with the photograph, and I urge everyone to go out and watch this film. Um, I think it's a beautiful story. Um, I know I, like one, I was very excited at this film, and you know I, I'll kind of shout this out. I tweeted something last week that is the biggest tweet I've ever had. Right? I said just so y'all know I'm super excited for the photograph this weekend, and I said you want to know why. We have two black actors leading a film where the marketing doesn't seem to highlight a struggle about their blackness, Mm. but revels in their romance, and they just so happen to be black. Mm. That doesn't make the film less black. Mm. What I'm finding and hearing, which is a little bit disheartening as a divide, even amongst black audiences and black critics, what I'm seeing, is that I've heard people say that this film isn't black enough because we've been conditioned that in order to be black and to be on film, you must be big, extra, or special. And if we really think about all the films we've watched in the 20 to 30 plus years that we've been on this earth, every black character that we've seen on screen, right? And we've already we've dissected some of that last week with Magical Negroes. If they're in a leading role, they got to be doing something big or extra special. We just can't have Normal regular people. black folks. Yeah. You know you what I'm saying? You have to be the exceptional black you, man. Exceptional. Yeah. Exactly, right? Like, and don't get me wrong, it's not saying that those stories don't deserve to be told, but they just can't be the only stories told because then we will take for granted the regularness yeah. that's inside of our lives. Like, and, and I, I sometimes hate using this term because I feel reductive. In a lot of, I don't want to say white films, but in a lot of other films, not everything is like this big, like, thing, right? Like, Marriage Story is just a film about a man and a woman getting a divorce. Well, it's not white enough. <laughs> I mean, you see how ridiculous that sounds. <laughs> exactly. You you wouldn't would even think of saying something like that. Because let me tell you something. I need a whole movie. People, for, for a lot of folks, for a lot of folks, that is the standard. Right. So there isn't. No, it's not white. That's just the standard, right? And now, if I make those characters black, if I put them, if I make Charlie and Nicole black, right, you're gonna have certain audiences say, "Oh, well, that black doesn't look like the black that I grew up with." But the thing is, I was born in Miami and I was raised in New York. 
those are two different black experiences and black growing our cultures. It's very different, right? Oh, they don't set like they, they may not sound like they're from like, you know, my black or my hood or something like that. You know, what makes Lakeith Stanfield's character so extra? Like he's not doing anything. He's not hitch, right? We've seen so many of these different examples of black leading men doing these extravagant things. Think of Eddie Murphy and Boomerang. You know, think of Damon Wayans and Mo Money. Think of Denzel Washington in any movie he's ever done. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That, and, and think about it. If it's one person, ooh, if you could just ask any woman over the age of 40, who would they marry? They would say Denzel. Because in everything that they've seen him, he's been like the standard of, of what black manhood looks like. And I got to be honest with y'all. That is not, that's not sh- what the standard should be. Okay? <laughs> I mean, I, I want to be. be Denzel when I grow up. I mean, I feel you. I, I mean, yeah. I, mean, yeah. I want to be Denzel. But, but you can see, you can see <laughs> yeah. how that it can, it, can, it, can, it can create a distorted view of what we of what we accept on screen. But to your point, Kobe, this kind of goes back to what uh, what we were talking about prior to the show, especially about the photograph. Um, you know, every time I would hear just average people talk about it, you know, uh, black folks especially, they would always say like, "Oh, this is the modern day version of Love Jones." And I'm just like, yeah, my mm-hmm. goodness, Love Jones? Love Jones came out in the late nineties. Ninety seven. So twenty three. All years. that means to me is that we just have not had enough stories that normalize people that happen to be black in these, you know, love stories or whatever. Because something that isn't centered on it. Yes. And, and, and it's like, that's why we've been so conditioned. Like, if we're not extra, if we're not big and in your face and ghetto or magical or whatever, then it's not black enough or it's not whatever. It's lacking. You know, like, it's lacking a little bit of flavor. You it's know, lacking. Like, <laughs> you, you, the vibes are not saying, there. You know, you know? <laughs> do you remember that? that, that scene Almost like we're not shuffle? used to boiled chicken or something. I don't know. <laughs> I oh hate you. Why are you so hateful? <laughs> Yo. There's that, there's that, I'll never forget that scene from Hollywood Shuffle where Robert Townsend is being told from a white producer in the film, like, no, I need you, just do it blacker. Like, you know, yep. like we do the job, yeah, man. Yeah. And that's exactly what we're talking about is that we've been taught, like, in order to be black, it's to be something that really doesn't look like what we are in real life. And I, and, and this is what this podcast is here for to be able to combat that. Last week, we combated the tropes in Hollywood. And this week, we answered your questions about an array of different topics and ended with a really healthy conversation and the idea of a film being black enough, which means that there's films that could not be white enough. But then again, we don't ask those questions. And then coming up, we're going to get deeper. We're going to really look into where that came from. We're going to look into black cinema, the good the bad and the ugly of it and really hope to kind of get to the heart of other things that we want to be able to talk about. And yo, I really hope that y'all are enjoying this conversation because we damn sure are. Um, uh, I'll speak for myself. I am excitingly like gracious for this platform and just the opportunity to talk and make new friends. Please get at this show, follow feeling film, Get at the black label. Be a part of the show. Let us like, we would love to answer some of these questions. We'll start tagging these along at the end of the episodes. Um, any final words from the label? I love y'all, man. That's all. That's all I got. Familia. <laughs> that was, that, that hit right there. It's the month of love. So spread the love. There we go. Love is love. Love is love. <laughs> love, is love. Yo, well, Aaron. Can you, our queen, can you please tell the people 
where they can find you. You can find us, Queen, on all major social channels. Um, on Twitter, I am Aaron Hundley because my tag of essentially like Aaron Hundley. You, you hey, like that code switch? You like that On Twitter, you can <clears throat> all the kind sirs, ladies, and and everything in between. You can find me on on Twitter on the on the Twitter birds. Uh, you can find me at Aaron Hundley, um, but uh, because essentially Aaron wouldn't fit on Twitter, it's too long. <laughs> Um, essentially Aaron on Instagram and uh, essentially Aaron on Pinterest as well. Well, um, you can find me, Kales, um, in the Twitter and Instagram apps as Black Nerd Magic. And then you can find me on Facebook by my government name. And also, if you want to read my reviews, come to feelingfilm.com. And you can find me, Eman, at Eman's Movie Reviews on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram and Twitter. Uh, you can find me at, at E-Man's Reviews or just Google E-Man's Movie Reviews and that's E-Man, just like He-Man without the H. And, uh, yeah, come on and have some fun. We'll talk about movies and stuff. And hey, yo, you can find your boy. I'm on all the socials at Kobe told me on Twitter and Instagram and I'm on Facebook at Kobe Mac. You can check out all of my written content at KobeToldMe.com. And if you like, listen to the Kobe Told Me podcast as well. But what you need to do is continue to listen to Feel and Film, the Black Label. This is the Film Critics Roundtable for the culture. And yo, keep feeling film. Peace. <laughs>